Okay, everyone, thank you for joining. The first class of the new cycle of Torah. On, um, we started the Torah again, first class of the uh, Thursday night classes, when we learn an in-depth of delving into the deepest secrets and truths um, of the Holy Torah, following the teachings of Rabbi Zalman of Liadi, founder of Chabad Hasidism. So tonight's class I'm going to dedicate to my wife. The reason is because I wasn't going to give the class uh, because I was over overly exhausted from not feeling too well, cold, and so on and so forth. And I was hoping I was going to get her sympathy. And she would say, nah, stay home, don't give the class. You're not feeling well. But she called my bluff and she really realized that I was lazy. I'm just not, not, uh, I'm just playing games. So she said, Shabbos Beratius? Like the way you set yourself up, Shabbos Beratius, so it goes the whole year. Just going to be lazy over here and be laying in bed. So it was just in her um, merit that I came here to give the class. So tonight's class is merit, is dedicated to her. All the blessings and all the light. Probably going to be a shorter class. I'm just, I didn't prepare that well. I just looked a little bit at this. Um, I just want to at least get the mimer going, get the discourse going. <coughs> we'll continue with Bezos Hashem next week. Now, this mimer is really, this week is a is like a switchover week. Week until Simchas Torah, which was on Tuesday, we were reading still the portion of Zoysa Bracha. We were still reading last week's Torah portion. Second. And we were still reading last week's Torah portion, which is like the conclusion of the Torah, the last Torah. And then, um, uh, and then on Tuesday, we concluded and we started the new Parsha. This Shabbos is going to be Shabbos Beratius. Um, we studied already all the discourses that there are on Bereshis, but we did not learn all the discourses on, on Parshas Vezay Sabracha. So they are, from that, I decided let's learn a, a minor of Vezay Sabracha, the conclusion of the Torah. But it's a very, very essential discourse to study because the discourses is on the word Torah Tzivalanu Moshe. Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu taught us. Merasha is an inheritance, Kehilas Yaakov, for the congregations of Jacob. So this is a good introductory to studying the whole Torah. We know what the Torah is. It's the, that's Moshe commanded to us the Torah. It is an inheritance for all the Jewish people. So let's find out what kind of lucky inheritance we have. So this is on page 186 on the Kuti Torah, <clears throat> towards the end of the Sefer. And here we go. The Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu taught us is a, the, the Torah portion begins last week, or the last portion of the Torah, that this is the blessing, uh, this is the blessing that Moshe blessed as B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish people, before his passing. And then he goes on and he begins to talk. And right in his introductory remarks, before he starts to blessing individual tribes, he makes a general statement. Moshe commanded us 
the entire Torah, which is all the mitzvot, right? it is an inheritance, Kehilas Yaakov. And I guess that's the greatest blessing. That's the introductory remark of the blessing. And um, he's explaining why we are worthy for a blessing, because the Torah is ours, and it's something that we're holding on to, we never let go of. The greatest sign uh, that of the worthiness of Israel, the Jewish people, is that we still study the Torah thousands of years after it was given, after all the trials and tribulations, after all the all the excuses we might have had to stay in bed and not study, and not learn, and not um, continue. But yet we yet yet we do because of our wonderful wives. <laughs> in any case, here we go. This verse he brings in the small little letters over here is brought in the Gemara, the ninth chapter of Tractate Brachas, Tafnun Zayin Amad Aleph. It is also brought in Psachim Perigimon Mishnah Mem Tesamad Beis in Tractate Psachim. It is also spoken of in Tractate Sukkah Perigimon Mem Beis Amad Aleph. Um, in the third chapter, no, um, the, the, in, uh, in, um, Dafmem Beis, page 42, in Sanhedrin, Perikud Aleph, Tzadik Aleph, Seifabit Beis, in the end, on the second side, Marcus, Perigimel, of Gimel, Seifabit Beis, he gives you a whole bunch of places where this verse is quoted by the sages and is, and it is discussed. In Brachis, in Psachim, in Sukkah, in Sanhedrin, in Makis. We had a good idea to look them up and see what it says in all these places, but I didn't. And then in Midrash, Midrash Rabba, Truma, Saif Perik Lamad Gimel, in Midrash Rabba, Pashas Kisisa, Tzav Perik Tes, and in Shira Shirim, Bepasakishakenu, and Shikis Piu. In all these places in Midrash, so he gives you uh, four sources of Talmud that discuss about it. Three sources in Midrash and one source in the Zohar. So Yechadish Beis Yisrael Perigimel. Going to teach over here. So one of the places where it's mentioned, he brought is is in Tractate Psachim. Sham over there, but there it says, the Talmud makes a spin on the words. The word Meirasha. <clears throat> means an inheritance. But the Talmud says that the word Meirasha also comes from the word you can switch the shin, that you can, but the sages do so. They switch the shin in the word Meirasha for the other version of the same letter, which becomes a sin. We know that there are certain letters in the Aleph base that are double. You can read them emphasizing the word strong or in a weaker it's called dagesh verafa like bays and vase right so that you emphasize it bet or vet right with the with the emphasis or not shin and sin shin has a dot on the right side sin has the dot on the left side and it, it changes the pronunciation of the letter so the sages say you should change the word we changed the reading of the word which means an inheritance and we read it as if it would say with an added aleph also, which means the Torah is in betrothed, married, betrothed. The Torah that Moshe commanded, it is betrothed and married to the congregation of Yaakov. So what do we have from here? 
that the Torah, we love her so much because she is our beloved bride. So we relate to the Torah as our wife, inseparable. So we know this, uh, who was it? One of the great, the Tzemach Tzedek. When, when his wife passed away, was in a very, 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 very sad, very broken. And uh, one of his sons mentioned to him that the sages say, there's a verse that says, see life with a woman, see to have life and spend your life in Isha with a woman, with your wife. And the t- sages read that pasuk in Isha with your wife, referring to the Torah. The Torah could be your accompanied, your accompanied woman in your life that comforts you and holds you and so on and so forth all the time. And that is the, uh, and, I, and I forgot the end of the story. It was a very interesting story about what, what the Tzemach Tzedek reacted to it. But we see that the Torah is referred to many places in the different places as the, the, the woman in the relationship. So Israel, the Jewish people would be the male in the relationship, the man in the relationship, and the Torah would be the woman. And that's why, uh, for example, by um, Shavuot, the day the giving of the Torah, it's called the day of the wedding. There was a marriage. Who got married? The Torah got married to Israel. Yisrael and the Torah got married to each other. And in this verse, it implies that who is the groom and who is the bride? The groom is are the Jewish people, and the bride is the Torah. In don't read it. betrothed. In this sense, the Torah is called a bride. Now, Remember, he told you a whole list of places to look. One of them was a midrash rabba. So, midrash rabba truma also gives the same drash. Torah is the bride, but the tzarich love we need to understand. We have a Mishnah in the last chapter of of uh, Tractate Tainus, the one that deals with fasts. The famous Mishnah that talks about the holiday of what's referred to by many people as Tuba'av, the 15th day of Av, the day of the most romantic day on the Jewish calendar, the day of marriages and so on and so forth. The Abishter, uh, but it says that um, the Jewish people never had holidays like the fifteenth day of Av and Yom Kippur. And it, how do we know that Yom Kippur is such a big holiday? So the, the Talmud says because it's called the day of his wedding. the day of his wedding. Why is Yom Kippur the day of the wedding? Because Yom Kippur is the day that God gave us the Torah. Didn't we get the Torah on Shavuot? Shavuos, which is a few months before Yom Kippur. And the answer is that the, the Torah that we got at Shavuos broke. Moshe broke the tablets. So we never really, it began the process, but it never really consummated. But then on when we did repentance and we had Yom Kippur, God forgave the Jewish people. Then Hashem gave the second Luchos. Moshe received the second Luchos. And the Zilmatan Torah, this is the giving. Oh, so the sages say that's why Yom Kippur is called the day that the Torah is given. And it's called the day of his wedding. Now, who, who's getting married? It's the day of God's wedding. It's clearly speaking about God. It's God's wedding. 
Now, in that, and it's speaking about God over here. Obviously, it's speaking about God in the male form, in the day of his wedding. So if it's the day of his wedding, then he is the groom. There's got to be someone else who's the bride. So who's the bride? It's clear that the Jewish people, Israel, is the bride. That's what it's referring to. Israel is the bride. So suddenly we become the bride. So are we the are we the groom or the bride? The difference would mean, let's understand it, if we strip it from its externalities, you know, we're talking over here, obviously, male and female on a much higher level than a physical element. Because obviously it's all metaphoric speaking, this marriage. It, it, metaphoric, I mean to say that the marriage is very real, but it's on a deeper level, not on a physical level, on a spiritual level. So the spiritual level of this marriage and the spirit and the spirit, what does it mean, male or female, in the relationship of husband and wife? It would mean who is the giver and who's the receiver. There has to be a, a giver and a receiver, a mashpi and a makab. So if we say that in 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 our in our verse where it says Mu'urasa, that we are that the Torah is betrothed to Israel, it's the bride. The Torah is the bride. That means that the Jewish people are the groom. And they're the ones who are contributing to the Torah. We are, we are giving, giving energy to the Torah. We're drawing life, whatever that means, into the Torah. We see that on Simcha's Torah. We've discussed that on the Simcha's Torah, one of the explanations is given is that the Torah is so happy that it wants to dance. But the Torah scroll can't dance because it's immobile and locked up in the, in the ark. So to help a dance, we pick up the Torah and we dance with the Torah. But what really happens on a deeper level, even if, you, if you're looking deeper, not just with the naked eye, but you're looking with the eye of your soul, you will see that we and the Torah, the Jew and the Torah, get suddenly become enmeshed and one, one with each other. And the person carrying the Torah become the feet of the Torah. And the Torah is dancing with the feet of the person dancing with it. And that means that we cause the Torah to dance, which means we are giving energy to the Torah. It now can dance, it can move. That's on a physical level. And you see it physical. But obviously on its deep spiritual level, there is a contribution in which the Torah itself is enhanced by those who study the Torah. Because generally we would think it's the opposite. The Torah is this great wisdom and it teaches us. All this incredible godly wisdom is transmitted to Israel, to the Jewish people, to those who study. So the Torah is the giver and we are the receiver. But on a deeper and a higher level, as we're going to see, we actually contribute to the Torah. We draw life and energy into the Torah, as we're going to see later. But implying, but whatever we see from there is that it implies that we are the giver and the Torah is the receiver. However, in the other verse, where it discusses that what? That it's God's day of his wedding. And, and what's the marriage? The marriage, again, is God getting married through the Torah and with the Torah. But God takes the position of the male or with the female. And in this case, God and the Torah would be one because the Torah is it's, it's who got married. The Torah is also part of this marriage. So Hashem, who is now one with the Torah, is the male and Israel is the female. In that case, what would mean that there is a that it's the opposite it's the op it's it's the reverse uh situation set up where the torah is the male and we're the female so that's this question which one is 
the day of his wedding, which implies God's wedding, that Israel, that is Israel, the Jewish people, ensemble of the Jewish people, is called the bride. And if so, comes out, the Torah is called chasn. Now, even though we might argue and say, hold it, it never says the Torah is the chasn. It says Hashem is the chasn. In other words, imp implied in the Mishnah, the Sechtas Tainas is not the Torah. It's implying God. God is the chast. So we can say, to Hashem, we're the bride. To the Torah, we're the, we're the groom. Which could fit. And he actually makes that suggestion soon. It would mean something like this. God is the groom, the, ma the male to us, because he's the one who is, he's not the, he's not, he's not the receiver, he's the giver. He infuses our soul with a very great spiritual light. And then we infuse the Torah with our spiritual light that we received from God. So the Jewish people then are both male and female. We're female to God and we're male. We take the masculine role referring to the Torah. That would be the simple solution to answer it. That it's the marriage between Hashem and Israel. The problem is over there, it's talking about the giving of the Torah. So what were, the marriage of Hashem, to, and then you can say that the Torah... In, in, was the ring through which God betrothed us. It's a marriage between Hashem and Israel. And the Torah was like the ring. He gave us the Torah with us receiving the Torah from Hashem's hands is like the groom giving the bride something through which, usually a ring, in which through the, 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 the marriage takes effect. But the simple answer would be, Hashem is the groom, we are the bride. Then once we receive from God, now we have what to give. So now we give to the Torah. That would be a simple solution, but he's not going to be satisfied with that, as we're going to see. Hein MS. Now the truth is, he says in the parentheses, Kibrabo say that over there in 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 um Midrash Rab, in the end in the in 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 Achrei Mos, which is in uh, Vayikra, in the end of the twentieth parak over there. Mavur Moshe Melech, Bita. So the the you you oh, he's giving first another he wants to resolve it in another way when it says the day of his marriage is the giving of the torah it doesn't really mean god's marriage what it means is the day in which he is making a wedding it's not his marriage himself but he is he is the he is the one who is making a wedding for his daughter and there implies the Midrash that the giving of the Torah is analogous and finally the Jewish people received the Torah so that he found a son-in-law for his for his daughter so in that we can answer the Torah remains the bride all across. When it says his wedding, it doesn't really mean his wedding. It means the day that he is a, he is he is engaged in a wedding of his family. That's what you could kind of squeeze in as the answer. Torah. So the Medrash says clearly his daughter is the Torah. And the Medrash says on that, the Yom the day of his wedding. So you see, the Midrash has no problem implying the day of God's wedding, but not really meaning his wedding, meaning his, his daughter's wedding. 
In Bamidbar, in Medrash Bamidbar, also the same, same, um, the same uh, setup. It's called his wedding, but it's not really his wedding. He's marrying off his daughter, but because his daughter is like part of him, it considers it as his as his own wedding. So then, according to that, we can say the when the days the day of his wedding. Israel remains the groom. and Torah the Torah which is Hashem's daughter. He she is the bride. however, that, that could work, but in truth, But the many places it seems to imply the that it says on the day of his wedding, it says clearly and explicitly. So there's other implications where it clearly puts Israel, the Jewish people, as the bride. Get the Pidish Rashi. Like Rashi says in our very same parsha, Parsha's Vezaisa Bracha. Al Pasik Hashem Sinai Ba. The verse before Torah Tivalanu. One verse before Torah Tivalanu says, God came from Sinai. And he and he had shine and he shone forth from Seir. Hashem came from Sinai. So Rashi says, what does he mean he came from Sinai? He's going to Sinai, not coming from Sinai. So Rashi says, no, God was at Sinai first. And then God came from Sinai to meet us like a groom goes, go, walks, walks out from the canopy to greet his bride as she's coming to the chub. When we have a Jewish marriage, a Jewish ceremony of a marriage, so there is the canopy ceremony called the chuppah. And if you've ever been attended one, you see that the groom is the one who gets there first. He stands there, and then the bride with the with the uh, those who escort the bride, usually the parents of the bride, whatever, they walk the bride down to greet her future husband. Now the groom is standing under. Now there is a a minhag. There is a a custom that the groom walks out. Some in different places, it's done differently. I think Sephardic communities. Do it very extreme, like the groom walks all the way out, far out to greet his bride, and they do, they have some kind of a ceremony out, and then he brings her under the chuppah. I've seen that at certain weddings, traditional Ashkenazic weddings, the the, the groom walks two, three steps out towards his bride as she's coming under the chuppah. And where do we derive this from? From our marriage, when we had the marriage with God. In that sense, Israel is considered the bride, Hashem is the groom. God was there first. He was at Sinai. And that's the meaning Hashem me Sinai ba. Hashem is coming from Sinai. He's leaving Sinai, walking a couple of steps because Moshe was bringing the Jewish people out from their camp towards to surround the mountain. And Hashem walked out to greet them. So you see clearly that Hashem is considered the groom and Israel is considered the kala, the bride. Like a groom that goes out, to come greet the, the bride. Now Rashi didn't say that on his own. Rashi took that analogy, that 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 idea that Hashem came out to greet Israel, like a groom coming out to greet his bride, from a midrash called Midrash Mechilta on Pashas Yisrei. This is the day of his wedding, the sages say, that's Sinai. 
Chitunim hoyu, it was a marriage. Shenemar, as it says, and so, but, but don't, you don't know who's marrying who. You know, it was a marriage, but the Medrash brings a verse. Shenemar, it says, Vikadash Simply, it means you should make yourself holy today. But the Medrash makes a play on the words. Vikadash means you will become marriage uh, when uh, one of the words that are used for the betrothal. Before we use the word erusin, that's one word. Another word is kedusha. And when a and when a man gives the ring to the, his wife, a bride, a groom gives the ring to his to his bride. He says, "Hare at mikudeshesli, you are hereby sanctified to me." Using the word kedusha. So the midrash takes that word from Parshas Yisro, where it says, "Ukidashtem hayoyim." So the midrash says, "You are going to become mikudeshes today." You're going to become, as a bride becomes mikudeshes. You're going to become betrothed. And in Tanya Wheeler, this is also he's, he's bringing you sources from, you know, the sages back then. In Tanya, we learn, this is really obviously the Alter Rebbe himself. Another, when we make, when we say a mit, when we say a blessing before any mitzvah, what do we say? Asher kedishano simply means you sanctified us with the mitzvah. But in a, on a deeper spiritual level, it means you have betrothed us through the commandment knows every time we're fulfilling god's commandment we are becoming married again to god the marriage the mitzvah forges the bond of husband to wife so this is all the implication that what that we do play the role of wife but yet we have other other places which says that the torah is married to us as a woman is married to a husband so it's a little confusing. That's his question. Over there it implies that Israel receives the, the, the marriage ring. And look in two places in Zohar. Regarding the crown that his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding. And I don't know, I didn't check the Zohar up, so I don't know what it says there, but uh, probably various other proofs that Knesset Yisrael, Israel is, is considered the bride. It brings another verse, another proof. The Midrash Rabbin, the end of Pashas Veschanon, Isa Omer Rabbi Rachia, Rabbi Barachia says, in 10 places, God refers to Israel as his bride. Okay, so there's a clear, a clear indication that Israel is considered the bride. But we also have the Pasuk in Torah, Tzivalonu, Moshe, Moi Rasha, where the sages say, don't read the Torah as Mo Rasha, our inheritance, but our our bride, Mo Rasha, she is engaged. So the Torah is the bride. Which way, which way does it work? So now he's going to suggest the other answer that we said earlier. It depends. We play both roles. To Hashem, we're the bride. To the Torah, we are the husband. And there are those who answer. The doesn't, doesn't say who that is. The When we're referring to God Himself, the Jewish Israel is called the bride. And compared to the Torah, So when we're analyzing our relationship with the Torah, then Israel becomes the masculine, the, the mashpia, the giver, and the Torah is the receiver. Well, now, if that's going to be the case, 
if we're going to learn that way, we're going to be have a beautiful explanation in a verse that we say every day. The Pasuk says, we say it in the Shema, not just once, we say it three times a day in the Shema. Do not go astray after your heart. So your heart has all kinds of desires. God says, don't allow your heart. Actually, uh, going astray after the heart doesn't mean going after your desires, but going after uh, the, 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 the questioning, the doubts. The heart can present doubts and questions. Questioning belief. Don't allow your heart to lead you astray from me. Because in this case, heart would mean your thoughts. Question my existence, question my validity, question the validity of the Torah, and so on and so forth. And then it says, don't follow your eyes. The eyes is can lead a person to immorality. Don't follow your eyes and don't follow your heart. Then it says, which will cause you to to derail, which causes you should atem that you are zona machreim, you become you 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 might you know derail because of it. You might uh, that's the simple meaning. The, your heart and your eyes might cause you to to be misguided after other things other than me. That's what God says. Remain loyal to me. But the deep deeper meaning from the word zonim, we we had that in a few times, is which in which you will become like god forbid an unfaithful wife an unfaithful wife is called a zona a zona is a prostitute now the real meaning of a zona is an adulteress a woman who's married and she's seeking um to be with another man in our case so he's learning god is saying don't go after your heart and after your eyes which if you will go after your heart and after eyes to seek the forbidden range which means to receive, to seek pleasure anywhere outside your relationship with God. Seek it in, in especially in sinful things, but even if not, our source of pleasure and energy and life is supposed to be always from God. Seeking it from any other thing is considered like going, stepping out of the relationship. And then it says, and then it says, so that you will remember all the mitzvahs. That's a simple meaning. Don't go astray after your heart. And if you don't go astray, you'll remain focused. You will remember all my commandments. What he's learning over here, another play on the words. I'm saying a play on the words, but a, a much a deeper meaning, which gives so much more of a life to it. God is saying, do not, be, do not go astray from me to seek your pleasure elsewhere. Then you're going to be like adulterer, like a, a woman who's, who's unfaithful to her husband. And then I won't be able to bestow upon you because once, God forbid, once, God forbid, one is considered unfaithful to God, what happens? Then the woman becomes forbidden to her husband. A woman who is not loyal to her husband becomes forbidden to her husband. He has to divorce her. He can't stay with her once she cheated on him. So then the verse is saying, God is saying, if you cheated on me, then you become an adulterer. I can't then continue giving, putting into your soul my energy. I can't be continue being intimate with you and channeling my life into you. And then if you won't be able to receive from me, you will not be able to then turn around and 
and bestow energy into the Torah. You're the, you're the medium through which I channel life into you, and then you turn around and give life to the Torah. So that's what the verse is continuing. Don't become a zona. Don't become an adulterer. Lamantizkeru doesn't mean you should remember. Lamantizkeru so that you can become male. Tizkeru is from the word zachar. Lamantizkeru so that once you receive my light, now you can become the masculine. And you will give life as kol mitzvah Hashem to all the mitzvahs of God. You will give life into the mitzvot, which means you will give life into the Torah. You will then be the male to the Torah. But if you're not my female, you can't become the male to the Torah. Because the way it works, as we said earlier, to Hashem, according to this explanation, would mean as follows. To Hashem, we are the female. But once we receive from him, then we can turn around and become the male, means the giver to the Torah. But God is saying, if you're going to become an adulterer, you're not going to be able to be my female, my recipient. So you're not going to have what to give because then you won't be able to be a male to bestow your light on the world and into the Torah. So that's what he's... That, if we will say so, this will fit well in that verse. Well, as he explains now, do not go after your heart. That you are being led astray from them. So that you'll remember, but now he gives the his interpretation, Piddish. Through this, that you will not go astray. And, 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 and by not going astray, then you will not be an adulterer. Ki'im, how then will you be? Oh, we have to learn something from this week's parsha. Bereshis. I felt bad that we're not learning Bereshis. And this, he brings now a verse from Parsha's Bereshis. When God tells Eve, Chava, right? Vel to your husband will be your longing. On the greater scale, it means. It means obviously the woman should long for her husband and not long for anyone else. That means faithful to her husband. She should be in a passionate relationship with her husband, but she should long for him and no one else. So it also, but it also refers in our relationship with God. God is the husband and we're the wife. Our longing should be to him and no one else. To your husband should be your longing. Like it says, in, who's the husband? And now he brings another verse, a verse that says in Isaiah and Yeshaya, who on that day, Tikri Ishi, you will call me, you will, God says, you will call me my husband. You will say to me, you are my husband. And that's the one we are longing for. We should long for him. If we remain clean and faithful, then we can be the proper wife and a bride. To Hakadosh Baruch to God, and then we and we and why are we called Kala? Now he makes it even deeper. Kala means bride, but in Hebrew the word Kala means longing. So to be a Kala, to be God's bride, it means because of, because the the bride longs for her is longing for the closeness and the intimacy with her husband. So Lagaba Hakadosh Baruch is kol sanafshi. So to us it means also that our heart should be burning up for God. My flesh and my and my and my heart is expiring with such intense longing for you. Azai, and when you will remain a, a faithful, longing wife to me and not go after anything else that will distract you, then Lamantizkiru, 
which generally means you will remember. But now he's turning the word tizkaru can become the word zachor to remember, but also from the word zachor, which means male. Lamant tizkaru, so you will be male. Shatia bechenazcharim. So then you will have what to give. You will become a mashpia. You'll become a giver. You'll become male. And then you're going to be able to infuse life into the Torah. That's the continuum. Okay, sorry everyone, and for whatever reason, they, my internet went down for a minute. So then, you'll be male, and what does it say? Vasisem is called mitzvah. So you will do all my mitzvahs. So what does it mean? You will do my mitzvahs. Beautiful. Not you will do my mitzvahs. You will just do them. You will make the mitzvahs be a mitzvah. You'll make my commandments be a commandment. You'll draw. You'll draw. You'll draw godly energy. And mitzvah and, and and life into the Torah and into the mitzvah. So you will make the mitzvahs. You'll make the commandments be a commandment. So, but so that's how he's resolving this dilemma: which position we take, bride or groom? And the answer is both. Ah, im im It's still not so perfect because it does not sit well with another teaching. There's a teaching in the Zohar. And the Zohar says like this. Talas, Kshadin, Miskashrin, Dabidab. Three things bond with each other. Kuchabirichu, Ayrais of Yisrael. God, the Torah, and Israel. The three knots. And there the Zohar says clearly, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is knotted to the Torah, is bonds with the Torah, and Israel bonds, and, and the Torah bonds with us, and via the Torah we become bond with God. It's like we plug into the Torah, the Torah plugs into God. And that's obvious, that's like the most basic understanding, our relationship with God is via the Torah. So in that case, what do we see clearly? The Torah, not God. The Torah is considered our husband. Because it's saying over there, what? God is flowing into the Torah. The Torah is flowing into us. And the Torah is the giver and we're the receiver. So now the question is, just looking at Israel and the Torah, which role do we play? We tried to answer earlier, to God we're the bride, but to the Torah we're the husband. So that only answers that we can be both. We can play both roles. 
but one, but, but the, but the, 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 it's two different, two different relationships, or two places in a. But in, based on this thing, we see the very same relationship of Israel and the Torah is sometimes described as the Torah is our husband, like in this last passage of the Zohar, and we're the bride. Because the Torah is the giver to us, and in other places it describes that Israel is the one giving to the Torah. So which one is it? says clearly that the Jewish people are receiving from the Torah. And based on that idea, the Torah is the chasen, is the groom, which is mashpiyah. And so it also implies in the teaching of the, of the sages in the first chapter of Tractate Brachas, Davavam and Beis, He's bringing another proof to that. That the Torah is also referred to as a groom. The Torah, not God. The Torah is conceived as a groom. Sages say that by a wedding, we're supposed to bring joy, we know, to the bride and to the chasen. The sages say that if we bring joy and we cause the, the excuse me, if we cause joy to the chasen, to the groom, the person merits great Torah Torah insight. Person merits Torah. Torah is given to him as a gift if he brings joy to the chasen. What's the connection? Because when you're bringing joy to the chasen, you become, you're, you're helping out the groom. You're, you're adding joy. That's when we dance in front of the joy, you know, we make him happy. Since the Torah is also called the chasen, so they're also called the groom. So by making joy to, to the groom, you then we merit the Torah. We're connecting to the spiritual groom, which is the Torah. So you see that the Torah is playing the role of the groom, not the bride. Through this, a person merits the Torah. The Talmud draws the connection. The Talmud says, because by a, a wedding, by a chasen, it mentions five times the word kol. Kol chasan v'kol kala. Kol sasan v'kol simcha. Kol chasan v'kol kala. Kol mitzahalos chasan v'chipasan. It mentions five times the word kol. Kol means the sound or the voice of. And by the giving of the Torah at Sinai, it mentions five times also the word kol. That all the people heard the sounds and it mentions the word kolos five times. Shemat. So we draw just like if you're making the bride, or if you're bringing joy to a chasen, you participate in a wedding and you make the chasen happy. So then you you merit the Torah, which so clearly it's putting the Torah parallel with the with the groom, not with the bride. Mashmadu mida connected mida implies that it is the reward is measure for measure. Torah is also called chasen uksiv and it says by it. Five sounds. Even though you could answer maybe and squeeze your way through that over there, but we can answer all these questions we just asked. Uh, he doesn't say what would be the answer, but he says, let's get a much better answer. Let's get a, let's get a, better, a better explanation. In other words, what he says is that we can keep the... Or, we can get away by still holding on to the previous answer 
and saying that to God we're the bride and to the Torah we are the we are the chast. And what are we going to do with these places? We can find some way to figure it out, finagle our way with it. But he says, no, let's see if we can get a, 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 a deeper understanding and a better answer. So we'll understand all of this by first prefacing. What's this whole marriage element at all? What kind of connection does this have to the Torah? The idea of betrothal and and uh, now here's the thing. In marriage, there is two stages in a marriage. Stage number one is betrothal. Stage number two is the completion of a marriage. So betrothal is where the the they used to know it's important to note that this used to be done actually in two stages at two different times at a wedding. Meaning at a wedding, we mean to say it would be done a couple of months apart. You'd first have the betrothal ceremony, and that is the groom gives a, a ring or whatever it is, something of value to the bride and betroths her. She then becomes his wife. Tech, uh, uh, technically, they're married. She's a married woman, but they don't live together. She goes back to her parents' home. And he's doing his own thing. And then they stop appearing for the next stage of the wedding ceremony in which he takes her under the chuppah, and he doesn't give her the ring anymore. It was given to her already. They just say special seven blessings, and then they can go home as husband and wife. That's the second stage of marriage called Nesuyin. Today's days, for whatever reason, the sages instituted that we do it both together at the same time. Right. Um, so these are called betrothal and marriage. Now he's asking, what does this in general imply to the Torah? Before we get in, like, where, 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 where do, how would it even connect that in the first place to the whole concept of the Torah? So he explains. Let's first look at the first part of the marriage, the Erusin. What is the Erusin? It's the groom giving the bride a ring, the betrothal ring. Oh, now, what is he doing? He's giving something that belongs to him, he's giving her a gift. But on a deeper level, it's not just the physicality. Nothing in the physical is, I mean, the, the, there are hidden energies behind, behind, be, behind every physical act, especially something as important as marriage. So when a groom and you're establishing something that's going to have repercussions for all, all of infinity, because as they get married, their souls will bond together and with Hashem's help, they're going to have children, and then their children are going to have children, and children. We're opening up a whole new line of generations and generations onto infinity. So obviously, this is something of incredible significance. And when do they become technically husband and wife? Through the act of him giving her the ring. So that already establishes this absolute. And if you know, they could be punished by death if uh, if there is a a. Um, if there is a uh, miss, miss, uh, if there's a violation in their relationship, so he's talking about something very serious. Something is established over here that's very serious. So how does that work? Just because he gave her a ring, through giving her the ring, he is. What's the role of husband and wife? He's going to flow his energy into her. Yeah, she's going to become his recipient. She's not ready at the beginning to receive. 
the deeper life force that he's going to give her. He has to start by giving her a little external ray of his soul. And that external ray of his soul is, is, is transmitted through the physical act of giving the ring. If we would have eyes to see by a chuppah what's happening, we would actually see that when he puts the, the, the ring on her finger, she is suddenly covered by his encompassing light that it's suddenly, you would see a veil of him going over her. It's almost like he's spreading his talent over her. And spiritual, a spiritual part of his soul is now enveloping her. But it's called the external. And then later, this kind, this kind of seasons her. And then later he can marry her and then give her of his inner light. By the betrothal, what is he giving her? He's giving her He's giving her a little bit of life. And what does that accomplish? It makes her already designated to him. She's no more a girl out available for another man. She becomes separated. She has already a, she's a woman is like a vessel. She has already an energy designated to her. She's not open to become anybody else's vessel, so to speak. She's already designated to her, to her mashpia. So lush and hafra, that's what the word mikudeshes means. She's set aside. Like this, she's available. The shatchanim are available looking and still suggesting shidduchim. You know, you should, maybe you can marry her. Maybe. There's still a, but not now anymore. She's not on the dating scene anymore. Closed. She's, she's already sealed. She separated for him. Like he says, you are sanctified to me. But what he's explaining here is that it's not just a physical act. It's a spiritual energy that he's given to her. And it's what he's going to continue doing as a husband and a wife all the time. Give her. It's going to provide her with all her needs. That's true. And also the main thing is the intimacy in which he's actually channeling his own soul into her. So he's giving himself to her. But initially, he can only give her an external ray. So now we'll understand where this applies also to the Torah. But what he's going to explain is that in the Torah itself, there is the, the masculine side. Is for, before he explains where, it, where we, the Jewish people, play a role into this whole situation, he's going to explain that in the Torah itself, there is the male and female side of the Torah. There is a marriage taking place between the male and female side of the Torah. In order for the Torah to manifest in this world, it needs to go through a stages. There's two dimensions. We know there's the written Torah and there is the oral law. And the written Torah is the divine Torah. The written Torah is the Torah as it comes out of God's wisdom. Hashem communicated to Moshe every word. And the Mitten Torah is really the infinite light of God is embedded in the, in the actual Torah scroll, in those holy words. But we have no clue what it means. It's not relatable yet to the world. And those who think they can understand the Bible have no clue what they're talking about. We don't understand anything that it says in it. How do we understand it? Through the interpretation of the oral law. 
And God too taught that to Moshe, but he taught him how to, he gave him the document, he gave him the divine code. And then he taught him how to extrapolate, how to, how to study. And Moshe taught that to the sages. And that becomes what's called the oral law. It's like a commentary on the, and the, and the oral law is applicable to life. Because the Torah says keep Shabbos. And it, we just know a general idea that you should keep Shabbos, should rest on Shabbos. But what does resting mean? Stay in bed the whole day was resting me. So the resting is later told to us in the oral law. It 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 um, it brings out all the details and makes it applicable to the to life and tells you the 39 principal types of work that you're not allowed to do, and these are this is it. And the same is in all the mitzvot. You don't have an inkling of what exactly the mitzvah is until it is specified in the oral law. These two toros, one is gonna one is male and one is female, because the the feminine Torah, the oral law, is a recipient from the from the from the Torah, from the from the Sefer Torah. In the oral law, in the Mishnah, in the Talmud, whenever there's any teaching, they, they never make up anything. Whenever there is something, they always ask, this is the law, where do we know it from? Where do we derive it from? And then they find certain nuances in the Torah from by doing you know this word and that word, and there's an extra letter here, and there's an extra thing. God is hinting to this, he's hinting to this. He could do a comparison of two words together. Here you can derive it like this, you derive it like that. And these are the different methods that the whole Talmud is built on to extrapolate from the, from the Torah the oral law. So there is a flow of energy coming from Torah, from the written Torah, into the into the oral Torah. That is the concept of mashpia makabel, husband and wife. Okay, He says the same is also above. Torah There is the written Torah. The Torah There is the oral Torah. The nikra, and they are called shamayim va'aretz. They're called heaven and earth. So it's also a connection to this week's Parsha Bereshis. In the beginning, when God created heaven and earth, or heaven and earth means heaven and earth, the sky as we see it, and the earth. But it also means God, when Hashem brought about the heaven of Torah and the earth of Torah. And just like the heaven is so much higher than earth, so to the written Torah is so much higher than the oral Torah. That's meaning it's it's purely divine, purely infinite, purely above us. For behold, the Torah the oral law, it's a commentary on Torah on the written Torah. Because in the written Torah, it is not explicitly stated the details of the commandments. And as we said earlier, you have no clue. Put something between your eyes. You have no idea what to put between your eyes. That it has to be black boxes and that between your eyes doesn't mean over here, but it means up here. And that you know, we have no idea. Comes the Torah Shabbat Pan. It gives us all exactly how the mitzvah has to look like. Take a beautiful fruit on Sukkot. Doesn't say a what. Creates other. A fruit from a nice tree. You can come up with a million different things of what's a nice tree and what's a fruit from a nice tree. That the fact that it is this type of a citrus, not a lemon, but a certain type of an esrog, who would know that? The oral law, and same as also all the rest. 
the Torah Shabbat Peh, the oral Torah, explains and elucidates all the details of the written Torah. You do as it is known. Now watch this. This is just one of my favorite pieces of Lakuti Torah, is this next lines. We know that on every single teaching in Torah, I mentioned it many times, but this is the source. Yashishim riboy perushim bipshat. You think, you think, we, sometimes we think, oh, I studied already. I know the Bible. I know the Chumash. I know the Torah. <laughs> On every word in the Torah, he says, there's 600,000 interpretations. Now, you know, it's easy, we th a number we throw around easily. 600,000 is one, two, three, four. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you Three, you know, thirty-nine thousand three hundred and forty-eight, two, and different. On and on and on. You can spend your entire life reading one word, one verse, ba on, on the on one level. We're not even dealing on a higher dimension. Different interpretations, but we're not done. We know that the Torah has four general layers. After you read the pshat, you can expound on the Torah beremes. Remes means there are hints, clues. In a sense, you're looking at the Torah as some kind of a, you're reading it with a different, you're, you're analyzing it differently, not on the level of simple meaning, but on the level of um, Ramazan, which means that you're seeing that it's it's hinting to things. 600,000, again, you have to repeat the whole thing. One, two, three, four, five, six, like a matria, that's like Remez, numeric codes and the like. Then you can go a notch higher called Drush, Homolytical, I think, and they call it, or they have some other fancy word, which I, I don't remember. It's another way of expounding. And again, 600,000 interpretations. So now we're already 1,800,000 interpretations on every verse of Torah. Then, after all of that, we get to the Kabbalistic interpretations. The Chaim Besod, where we start reading things on a Kabbalistic level, in the divine secret of things. Another 600,000 methods, 600,000 um, um, interpretations on every verse, which is in every word of Torah, 600,000. So now you have 2.4 million um, method or, or interpretations to study and read and expand. When you're getting there, you kind of maybe could have known the Pasuk, right? <laughs> So this is six times, I'm sorry, four times 600,000, which as we said, is 2,400,000. So look, he says, in the Baramaz, in Ramosha Zakusi, Parshas Beresh. This is a good introduction to Bible, to Chumash studies. See, that's where we'll go. We're starting again. Not to feel, oh, I know this already. I learned it already. What's new? You know, it's always new. Six, there's, 
right? 2.4 million interpretations. You still have enough to study. So he says, look in this book, Vadesh Pasha Shmini. Wait, 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 but soon we're going to see. We haven't even started yet. Even after we've gotten to the 600, sorry, even when we got to the 2 million, <laughs> 400,000 interpretations, we're, uh, 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 explanations on each verse, we haven't even started yet because we're going to see in a minute. And that's why the Torah Shabbat, the oral Torah, which is already the commentary, the explanation. The written Torah is just the exact Hebrew letters as they are written. Everything that's already explaining is part of the oral Torah. And the oral Torah is called in Kabbalah, in mysticism, it's referred to as Malchut, the kingship level. Torah is called Chachma. We know there are ten sefirot. Chachma is the highest attribute, wisdom, and Malchut is the lowest one, the the, 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 the most latter of all the sefirot, of all the attributes. The oral Torah is called Malchus. Kamaimar, as the sages say in Zohar, Malchus Peh, Malchut, the attribute of Malchus, plays the role of God's mouth. And the Zohar continues, Torah Shabal Peh. It's the Torah Shabal Peh, it's the oral Torah. That's Malchut. Dibur, which the idea of what's kingship? Kingship is all about ruling outside of you, communication. Kingship has no, no application without external attachment. Kingship must attach to somebody. It's all about a communication. It's all about a one entity is leading and governing the other. So there has to be a, an external. There has to be a communication outward. That's why kingship is very strongly associated with speech. Speech is the communication. So what we're saying over here, what is the Torah Shabbat? It's the speech element of God. It's the explanation of this. It's the verbalization of it. It's, it's expression. It's expressing it outward. It's speech that comes into revelation. to speech. Now every nuance in Torah, the private mind of God, every single verse over there, which is in the internal mind of God, if it's going to be expressed outward into speech, you can have 2,400,000 interpretations on every, on every idea. Kemayim Azal, as the sages say, Devar Hashem, the word of God, Zuhalacha, this is this is this is halacha. Halacha is Torah Shabbat. It's called Dvar Hashem, the speech of God. And speech is associated with kingship. With Dvar Melech Shiltai. The king rules with his with the word of the word of the king. Shiltain is the governing power of the king. The Yisrael him Amamshikim Khinas Malukhalayam. Now he's going to say, now he continues and he says that this activation, since you see, let me put it this way. If the Torah was to remain just a divine entertainment, God's ideas 
and the Torah is not meant, and the Torah would not be meant to um, to govern the world, to give you know direction, guidance of how life should be lived, instructions to the world, then the Torah would remain only the written Torah. Let me put it this way: God can live alone with His Sefer Torah because that's His His infinite whatever. Without a world, without why does it come into Torah Shabbat? Because it needs to now be communicated to the world. To communicate, to take it outward from its inherent state into, into communication. So it exp each idea expresses itself in so many various different expressions. And that's all because what does the need to be? What's the content of a world? Why does God need a world? Because he chooses to be a king over the world. And how does he manifest his kingship through the Torah, through the law of the Torah that he gives to, to the world? So it comes out that without king, so what would happen is like this. Without the notion of kingship, the written Torah would never evolve into the oral Torah. It's only due to the interest of God being a king through which he speaks how does he govern the world through his his understanding in which he has put into the Torah, which is utterly divine. But when he applies it to the world, it becomes the laws of the Torah as it is applied down here. So if we delete kingship, let's imagine that. If we delete kingship out, if we if we if God forbid there would be a deletion of the of the concept of being a king. In other words, if God would minus and X out his desire to be a king, the oral law would disappear in a minute. The written Torah would not disappear, but the oral law would disappear. So the oral law is generated by kingship. But watch this. Who stimulates in God the desire to be a king? That's our role. That's the role of Israel. The role of the Jewish people is to stimulate. Why? You only want to be a king if there are constituents for your kingdom, for your kingship. And if you're parading around town claiming you're a king and no one is interested, then it's not too good. It's not too satisfying. If you have a community, and if you have a nation, and if you have a nation, let's say, of a few million people who look up to you, and say to you, be our leader, be our guide. We want to serve you. We want you to take care of us and we will serve your will and so on and so forth. That evokes within this within this person the, the, the desire to be a king. And then he governs through kingship. Comes out that it's only when Israel comes and says, God, be we accept God's kingship king, as our king and we want to subjugate us into his will. That's what causes the written Torah to spill into, to pour over into the oral law. For the oral Torah to emanate outward is only a derivative of the, and a means to exercise his kingship, which the kingship is stimulated by the Jewish people. Comes out that this entire flow from the masculine Torah to the feminine Torah, the flow of energy that flows from the written Torah to the to the oral Torah is caused by Israel.
caused by the Jewish souls. For that reason, the Jewish people are called the chassan, the, the groom, and the Torah is called the bride. When we say the Torah is the bride, we're not referring to the written Torah. We're referring to Torah Shabal Peh, the oral Torah, the Mishnah, the Talmud, the, the Shulchan Aruch, all the laws, all the, that's the bride because its entire energy is lifeless unless there's a Jew there first who says to God, I want to serve you. And God says, okay, let me, let me, let me share with you how, how I would want, how, how I would want you to, and I'm going to channel to you my ideas in the Torah into, into a practical guide of life, which is the Torah Shavu'opeh. Comes out that the Torah Shavu'opeh is then a recipient of the Jewish soul. Because it's the it's the energy that is generated through Israel that stimulates the flow. So really, we would say like this: the male, the the groom is is the written Torah. The bride is the oral Torah. But there would never be a relationship between them. It would never happen unless there is someone who stimulates the groom to extend himself to the bride. That is Israel. So Israel then becomes considered part of the groom. That's what I'm saying. That's the, that's the explanation he's giving. And Israel, the Jewish people, are the ones who draw down melucha kingship upon themselves. Through this, that they receive upon themselves they take upon themselves the yoke of heaven like we did in Rosh Hashanah. We stood at Rosh Hashanah and we accepted upon ourselves to be good Jews and to follow God's commandments and so on and so forth. Like it says, kingship cannot be without people. The verse says, You must put upon yourself a king. All of this. Now, all of this is in the commandments of the Torah. Then in Torah, in the written Torah, in Torah, it is not written out well. And in the oral law, that's where it's revealed. On every single passage of the written Torah, in, in the oral Torah, there is, I'll give you an example. Go into a Jewish library, a Torah library, and let's say there's no duplicate there. There's only one. Put that all in one volume. But how many other books are there all explaining this one volume? Boundless. It's, 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 it's probably hundreds of thousands of Sfarim. You really get the entire Jewish, everything that was written ever. The Jews are always known to be the people of the book. Torah scholars, you know how many books were written? You know how much Torah was? It's like endless on one book. But that's not even all. Because we haven't gone through 600,000 on Pshat, 600,000 on Remez, 600,000 on Drush, and 600,000 on Silt. We haven't done that. But the entire 600,000, that's part of the commentary. That's the feminine Torah. That's all an explanation of that one book, which is the divine, which are the letters themselves of the Holy Torah, the unchangeable letters of the Torah. 
the word of God as he gave it to Moshe. So this is the female Torah, the male Torah, and the flow, and the reason it's flowing from here to here is as a result of the acceptance of kingship, which creates within God a desire to communicate his will through the Torah Shabbat and ex explain it and communicate it in. Ah, he says, but watch this. Even, he's going to explain. <laughs> but this is not a marriage yet. This is only a betrothal. The entire connection of the written Torah that's flowing into the, into the, into the oral Torah that is happening currently is only a drop in the bucket. Even when you go through the two, the two and a half million exp explanations that there are in every verse, it's a drop in the bucket. Why? Because what we are, what is Torah Shabbat? What is the oral law giving commentary on? What is it explaining? It's explaining the words. You look in Chumash, it says, In the beginning, when God created heaven and earth. Those are the words. Now, every explanation you're going to give, from the mystical to this, it's all analyzing these letters and these words. But when you're analyzing the letters, first of all, you're only analyzing, what we're doing is, we are only Oh, well, hold on. If you take a look at the letters, you'll see that in addition to the words and the letters, there is also the the pronunciation that what's called the 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 ways comets the nekudot they're called nekudot they're the vowelization. Now, the vowelization of the letters has meaning, carry great content. It's not only a way that you know how to pronounce the word. It has, it's part of the Torah. Kamatz, patach, segol, whether you read it, e, e, o, whatever the word, these all have meaning. And more than that, the meaning and the godly energy that's contained in those letters, and sorry, those nikudot and those vowelizations are even higher than the letters. But no one has ever touched that yet. No one is trying to explain that. We're barely trying to figure out the words, not the secrets that are hidden in the vowelizations. So if there's 600,000 interpret, two, two and a half million on the letters, there could be 500 million interpretations on those nikudot that no one has ever touched yet. But we're not done yet. On top of the letters, there's also crowns. In a Torah, you won't see this in a Chumash, but in a Torah scroll, the letters have crowns. Those crowns are even a higher level than the vowelizations, than the Kamats, Patach, and Oletam. They're way, 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 way richer in terms of its godly content. Utterly beyond human thinking and understanding, or any kind of understanding. So high, so them. Has anybody expounded on that the truth is you'll find very few um times where you have interpretations explaining no no the crowns you hardly don't find it, it says rabbi akiva used to expound 
And he used to give on the Kisrei Torah, the crowns of the Torah, what they mean. But it didn't trickle down to us. These are deep secrets that was never revealed, never became part of our Talmudic uh, uh, halachic discussion. We have no idea what it means even. Rabbi Akiva, he, he was on that level. He was already touching that part of the Torah. We're not done yet. Above the crowns, there is, a, there is a level that you don't see, but it's there. And that's the notes, the musical notes that are there. That's not part of the crowns. These are musical notes, which the Torah is a song. The Torah has to be sung through these notes. We, we, we know about them, and when we read the Torah, we're supposed to read them with the correct notes. But this is another dimension of the Torah. Excuse me. That has never even begun to be explored. In other words, on this level, the Torah is not is not is 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 private. It's not transmitting to the oral law. It's not coming into speech. It's not coming into explanation. It's locked up. In other words, our groom, our husband, has a lot more to give us than he's given us already. That's why whatever he gave us is only considered the ring. That's the point. We haven't even started learning yet. We haven't started yet taking it in. We've gotten just a ring. All we got was a little tiny something to make the connection. And only when Mashiach comes at the time of the, the redemption and the Mashiach will be the communicator and open up a whole new world of Torah to us in which he will be teaching everybody, including Moses. Moshe, because he will start unlocking the Torah on these levels the utter infinity of it but i skipped one more dimension that i didn't mention even before we get to the vowels the nekudot come at segel before we get to that and he said on top of that are the crowns and on top of the crowns are the songs the notes but even before we get to all those levels even the letter even the level of letters we haven't explored yet meaning we haven't even touched even the letters the actual letters than why because we're just reading the meaning of words put together by the letters, but we don't expound on the letters themselves, why the letter is this shape. You realize the shapes of the letters, they themselves is a divine secret. What that means, no one knows. Every letter is a certain nuance in God, the shape of the letter. When we're reading Torah, we're not we're ignoring the shape of the letter. We know already this is an out, this is a bet. We don't we don't pay attention how the flow is going like a lamid, and this is now flowing into and when you position these various different shapes one next to each other, it obviously means various different cosmic energies that we have no clue about what what what's going on. Past, present, future, infinite, beyond. I mean, it's just it's crazy. So we really, really, really haven't even touched it. We haven't even scratched the surface of the surface of the Torah. Ah, as he says over here, yes, there is another dimension over here, which are, he, he uses the word tanta. Tanta means an, in Yiddish, a tanta means an ant. But it's a abbreviation of, uh, not an ant, creature ant, an aunt. Right, you're, mother's sister or father's sister or whatever tagin 
but it's not, it has nothing to do with that. I'm just using that as a way to remember it, the Tanta. It's made up of four letters. Tess stands for Ta'amim. Ta'amim, ta'amim means the notes, the musical notes. Nun stands for Nikudot, the vowelizations. Tof stands for Tagin. The Tagin are the, um, the crowns. And Aleph is Osio. So I made I, 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 the order that I gave you earlier was wrong. I stacked it up earlier as the letters being the bottom, the lowest level. Above it, I told you, was the vowelization, comets, patach. Above that, I told you, are the crowns. And above that are the notes, musical notes. But it, I, I missed up two. The, the, the crowns on the letters are closer to the letters than the than the nikudot. They're higher. The the comets, the patach, the segol, all these vowelizations, they're higher than the crowns. Why? The very fact that the letters are visible, you can see them. The crowns on the letters are also visible to the eye. You can see them. You don't have no clue what it is. Why? And sometimes it's so mysterious. This Zion is supposed to have, and it says in Allah, when you write, Sofer knows exactly. When you write this Zion, it has four crowns. And this next Zion over there has two crowns. And the other one doesn't have any crowns. Like, why in the world? What? Oh, it's some godly secret. We just know the trends. It, it was given to us a code by Moses giving us exactly how it's supposed to be written. But we have no idea why. But the crowns at least are visible. The vowels are not visible. And the Chumash that we use, yeah, because we add it in. But in the Torah, you don't see that. That's why it's so hard to read the Torah, because you don't see there's no vowels there. There's no comments. The fact that they're not visible means they're higher. You can't even see them. And above that is the song, which a song represents just pleasure, a level of divine pleasure, which is, what's the song? Achyesh oid, as he says, Shebet Torah, which is all part of the written Torah, which means, it's interesting. He calls the letters themselves, this is what I was telling you earlier, also another part of Torah that we haven't even touched yet. Because even though we read the letters, we don't read the letters. We're not interpreting the letters. We're interpreting the content in the letters, but not the letters themselves. The, 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 the image, the font, the image of the font of the Torah, Sheem Halacha Moshe they are handed down to us by Moshe how they have to look. That it says that this is Allah Moshe which we know it's so important that if you change the shape of a letter, you alter it to enough. And obviously that's part of always the question you have to ask a rabbi. If a letter is a shape of a letter is a little altered, don't make it necessarily invalid. But if it's altered quite a bit, the whole Torah becomes invalid. One letter altered the shape. When the letter is not in the right shape. Like what the sages say, even one writing disqualifies the whole thing. Even a lacking a even the top little uh, um, part of the yud that goes up, it's such a tiny little letter, and on it has a little thorn on the top. If that's not there, it can disqualify the whole Torah. Watch this. 
every single image of every single letter. Merames is alluding to to millions of worlds. Okay. Every letter and the shape of the letter is indicative to millions of worlds, entire universes. Spectacular. And it's not the same universe as when the Aleph is repeated. In each Aleph, each one is a different Aleph. And it's 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 the gamma ta'amim, and also the, the song, the trop, what we call the trop, the song, the musical notes, the anakudot and the vowelizations, the atagan and the crowns, shekulam einom bon these things, these dimensions of Torah, these truths, these secrets, these deep divine uh, things are not being transmitted at all from the written Torah to the oral Torah. It's not being interpreted. It's not being examined. It's not flowing. It's not transmitting. That part of the Torah is a closed book. So far. The Hemanikraim, and they're called Almond Steman, the concealed worlds, the lawyers galleon, they're not revealed. So next time we pick up a Sefer Torah, we realize what we're picking up over here. <laughs> Hagba. And I try to sell Hagba, and the people buy it for $180, $200, $300. We should sell it for at least $3 million every Hagba picking up. You know what this is? There's a chut to pick up a scroll apartment that has all this in it. Believe me, after the Mashiach comes, they will want to be paying that amount for, for to be able to, right? In a Torah, Shabbat Shalom, we're not done yet. <laughs> so, so far we're saying what? The relationship from the written Torah. So according to this, the written Torah is super mega. It's the mega Torah. It's the infinite Torah as it is in the Creator. Torah Shabbat, the oral Torah is considered tiny and small compared to it. But it's with it's the Torah being applied to the world, being spoken to the world, and therefore uh unwrap un unraveled, but you know, demystified and broken into, you know, practical applications, practical teachings of how to live life. And only a tiny little drip, drip is dripping from the from the written Torah into the oral Torah. But now let's examine the written Torah itself and its origins to its source. Watch this. Now the written Torah, what's its source? It stems from the divine wisdom, God's wisdom. Because as we know, as stated in the Zohar, Torah stems and emerges from God's Chachma, from Hashem's wisdom. Shenikra Yam Ilah, which is called the supernal ocean. Chachma is called a ocean, it's a sea. Yam HaChachma, it's called the, the, the ocean of wisdom. Kichakim you talk about God's wisdom, and therefore it's not a knowable wisdom. It's, the, it's truly infinite. 
Misham nimshecha Torah shebeksav. And from there comes, from this ocean of wisdom of God, is where the wisdom of the Torah, the Torah collects its wisdom. It's, it then becomes um, recorded in this code, in this divine book, which is the Torah. And that's why the written Torah is called, which is the Torah scroll, the written Torah, Remember we said earlier, the oral Torah is called earth, and the written Torah is called Shamayim, heaven, which the word Shamayim, Rashi says, again, in Pashas Bereshis, stems for Shamayim, over there is water. That means from the water of the infinite wisdom of God is condensed in the Torah, which is called Shamayim, Shamayim. Peter Shamayim, Shanim Shacham it comes from the supernal wisdom. Now we're going to be baffled all again, all over again. However, how much of this infinite sea is contained in the Torah, in the written Torah? It's only a little ray of the sea. And for that reason, how the entire written Torah there's the five books of Moshe, but it's not just five. The written Torah includes also all of Scripture, the prophets and the writings, which together make up 24 books. Chav Dalet Daraisa of the Torah. Now, why 24? Because 24 makes up the word Kad, and a Kad means a jug. So imagine going to the beach. And bringing along with you a little jug. And let's say it's a big jug. And going to the ocean and filling a jug full of water. That's the comparison of the entire 24 books of scripture with the letters. <laughs> Remember, on the level of commentary, where we're already explaining it, we got 600,000 interpretations of shot, 600,000 and so on, on with, with in, in the in the Rambus, 600,000 in Drush, 600,000 in Sod and Secret, Kabbalistic interpretation. And that's not even the letters, that's just the content. Then there are the letters which are higher, which we haven't even started undoing. And then above that is the vowels. And above that is the, I'm sorry, above that is the crowns. And above that is the vowels. And above that is the songs, the trumpets. And each time you're going above means in it's like incomparably high. You're going into a whole other zone. And yet all of that is only one jug of water of the infinite wisdom of God. It's like the way of analogy. We take one jug of water from the big ocean. Did the ocean become any smaller? Because <laughs> you drew one, one jug full of water. Compared to the, to the infinite ocean, to the uh, expansive ocean. Kamoikena, the same is also all the 24 books of the Torah, Einon Elaha all they are is a ray from the supernal wisdom. Look at that mimer on the pasuk. 
Kad Kad, two times the word Kad. Check it up over there. Now, when we say it's a ray, we would say, okay, we would say it's one jug, but it's one jug of the water, of God's infinite wisdom. It's one jug of the water. So he says, no, it's it's consider it's a, meaning it's a it's a ray, but it's from the backside of it, not from the innermost, not from the inside, but from the back of it. Where do you see that? It's hinted to in a story that's discussed in Genesis in in Bereshit. Uh, when Yitzchak, when Isaac meets Rebecca, sorry, not Yitzchak, when Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, goes to look for a wife for Yitzchak, and he comes and he meets her. She goes down to the water and she's carrying a jug on her shoulder. That story is hinting to the jug going in and drawing out the Torah. The 24 books of Torah, is Rebecca's doing it, her soul source is drawing the water from the infinite wisdom of God into the 24 books. Because we, the Jewish people, are mastering all these levels. Obviously, on a level we're not conscious of. But, and Rebecca, Rivka, is the one doing it. But what does it say? The jug is on her shoulder. Her jug is on her shoulder. Shoulder represents the backside. So he's using that idea that her jug is on the shoulder to indicate that even when we're pulling from the divine infinite wisdom of the ocean, it, just one jugful, but it's from the backside of the wisdom, not from the inner side of it. The gam zoisen, even this is only from the back. The jug is on her shoulder. That's the back. Now this amazing idea, of how infinite and infinite and boundless and boundless we can go into the is all of this and how the Torah is just and for, you realize one jug and from that jug only a tiny one little drop drips into the oral Torah that we're studying so it's a drop of a jug which the jug comes from the infinite ocean and from the back of it the Zell, and this is why it says when God gave the Torah it says, "Vizarach mi seir." It says, "God had came." Remember, that I said the, the, I, we quoted this verse earlier, also in Parshas Vezay Sabrach. It says, "Hashem misinai ba." God is coming from Sinai. Hashem misinai ba. God is coming from Sinai. But the end of that verse is, "Vizarach mi seir." God has shine, shine, shown to us. He appeared to us, shining to us from seir. Seir usually is associated with the world. The land of Esav, of Esau, of Esav. With Esav, God gave him the land of Seir. But he's now saying that the word, remember we said Torah has to be understood on many levels. Seir can mean a country. And the, the sages say the simple meaning is that when Hashem gave the Torah, he first took it to, to Esav and asked Esav if Esav wants it. And Esav, I guess, didn't learn this mimer to realize and appreciate what this is really all about. He was busy finding all the other fun stuff in this world. He was at the bar having a good time. So he had no time to examine what this document that God wanted to give him. So he said, no, thanks. And then God went, Hashem went to Harpar. That means he went to the, to the Arabs. He went to Yishmael to ask them if they want the Torah. And they also said, no, thanks. And then he came to the Jewish people and he gave them the Torah. But the word Seir, 
So they always said the Jews were smart, right? We knew what, what we knew a good deal. We knew what we're getting, right? You know, I don't know. The truth is we only find out thousands of years later, like wow, we like a little bit of like wow, how amazing that was that we took it, right? But it says Vizarach, but the deeper meaning is Seir means God had means a hair. Look at here, one hair. What does it mean? The Torah, God's transmission of the Torah to us, God has to channel it down through one hair. Here is a little tube with a little hole in it. That's every hair. Showing how minuscule of a drop of a drop of a drop of his brain, which is the big ocean that we spoke about, just like the hair is a tiny, tiny little bit of energy from the brain that, that goes into the hair because the hair is alive. So to God's infinite brain, but tiny from a hair, he channels his wisdom into a tiny hair. It's comp and that hair is what is the waters that flow into the jug of those twin and then manifest on the levels of, as we discussed earlier, um, crowns, I'm sorry, uh, song, uh, vowels, crowns, letters, and finally content that later one drop of it drops into the oral law that we that we study, you realize. But it's all coming from one here. Vizarach, he's shining forth. Miseir, from here, Lomoy, to them. Seir, Uloshan Sa'arais. Seir means here. Shukamashal Sairois, this is the way of by way of analogy, like little here. Shanim Shachim Arosh that are coming from the head. Sha'inim Shahbahem Raka Oroma etas ma'oyin. Only a tiny little drop comes through them. So much so that a person doesn't even feel any bit of pain. That's why if you cut off a hair, you don't even know it doesn't bother you at all, doesn't it? Because it's so little. And as I mentioned, you know, you take a shower and uh, so much and, and, and quite some hair fall off your head, you have no idea. It's insignificant. It's so external, so little and so external. The written Torah, the Torah itself. That which was able to enclose itself in our physical Torah is only from the back. And the external, the Chachmi Allah of the supernal Chachm. Of the supernal wisdom. It's called the hair. But inside the hair, the hair is like a tube. It is illuminating a little shine from the real substance, from the real Chachmilah, from the supernal from the supernal wisdom from that big ocean. And that's the meaning of the word Seir. So if you look at the word seir, here, if you spell the word here, you would take out the yud. It's just sa'ar. Sa'ar is a here. Shin ayin resh. You add the yud. Yud is wisdom. That means in the hair, the tiny little hole that's in the hair, that's where the chachma, it's like a little tube, and the chachma is going through. When I say it's tiny, it means to God it's tiny. To us, remember we said, Every letter of the Torah, the shape of the letter is alluding to 
millions of worlds, not millions of, you know, where the entire galaxy and the entire universe that we know of, that scientists are exploring, that's only our world. <laughs> it's one world. We're talking about millions and worlds hinged. These are utterly unknown. Science doesn't know about it. No one has ever explored it. This is beyond, beyond. It's like it's showing you how foolish and empty is all the science and all because they're all working from the bottom up. They're working from the human experience and exploring outward. The Torah is given to us from above. It's on our level. It's like off the charts. But every word has the science in it, has the map, every letter of millions of worlds. And those worlds are far more supreme than this physical universe with all of its galaxies and stars and, and, and uh, whatever. Crazy. But all of that, the letters and above that, the vowels and above that, the, 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 the crowns and the vowels and, the, and higher and higher. And all of that is one jug. But that jug, it's in there is the yud of the God's wisdom. The sar where the yud is inside. And Va'asa, then it continues. It says, Vizarach Allah, my God came from Sayyid. Then it continues, Va'asa, he came, may Rivivos Kodesh, from the tens of thousands of holiness. That's what it continues in that verse, that God came to us when he gave us the Torah, may Rivivos Kodesh. So Rashi says, means he came accompanied by thousands of angels. May Rivivos Kodesh, with tens of thousands of angels accompanied him. That's the simple meaning. Va'asa, however, the deeper meaning is Va'asa Hulashin Ba. Va'asa means he's coming. Rakshu Balashan Targum. However, the word Va'asa means to come. But instead of stating it in Hebrew, which would be Uba, we're dealing with the Torah. The Chumash. This is actual the Torah itself, the words of the Chumash, which is not which is not written in Aramaic. It's written in Hebrew. In Lashon Hakodesh, in the Holy Tongue, yet the word Va'asa is an Aramaic word. It's not a Hebrew word. It's the Torah using an Aramaic. Sometimes you find the Torah uses an Aramaic word in the Torah. It's like as if you would find an English word in the Torah. And here it is. So, it's the it's saying the word Va'asa. He came. But why does the Torah use a an Aramaic word? Um. Because because remember we said before, it's trying to show you that it's coming only from a hair and from the backside. Remember when Rebecca was carrying the jug on her shoulder, on the back of her shoulder. So that's why it says, he's coming, he's emerging, he's lighting, shining to us. But it's saying it in, in Aramaic because Aramaic is considered external compared to Hebrew. So it's trying to show you that it's an external, it's a ray from the back. Ah, no, wait, wait, wait. So remember we're learning now. This tremendous diminishment, we're talking about two powerful diminishments. Number one, to go to the entire ocean and to take one jug full, or to, from an entire brain to draw forth the energy of a brain that's contained in one hair. It's nothing. So that's from the from Hashem's wisdom into the written Torah. But then from the written Torah to transmit to the where to the oral Torah is again diluted. 
into a very small little bit. And that's the meaning of the words. So the first diminishment is implied by the hair. The second diminishment is applied by the word va'asa, which is acharai in the back. When it's coming to revelation in the oral law, which is coming from the written law, which they are tens of thousands. These are the, remember we said there's hundreds of thousands, this 2.4 million interpretations in each word. So that's why it's called revavos, which means really myriads. But where are they coming? Merivavos, Kodesh. They're coming from Chachma. Chachma is called Kodesh. Hanikra Kodesh, which is called Kodesh. In order on this verse, Messina Bani shining from here, look in the Talmud in the fifth chapter of the Brachas, Fresh Perak Lifne Idiyan, Rabbi Snasa Resh Perik Yudalif, Perik Yudalin Bakarban Ashte Asar, Shirashirim Bapasak Apirian Asa. Look in all these sources, Beecha Bapasakani Agever, Zaya Khadash Bas Kuflam and Aleph Aleph Khaila Gimel Kutzadik Bas. So this is to where we're going to learn today, even though I have to say that I'm not tired anymore. I'm feeling perfect. I'm not sick anymore after reading this. This is like awesome. So my wife was right. Um, but I didn't really prepare for that. And I rather teach it when I, after I learn it and know it better. So we're going to stop over here and hopefully continue. Next week. Later in chapter three, he's going to explain that all of this is today's flow. And then after when Mashiach will come, there'll be a much deeper union. And then we're going to have an opening of Torah on a much, in, on a, on a much higher level. Mezrat Hashem, to learn it next week. And then there is a beer, there's a commentary on this mimer. Uh, this can keep us. And the end of that commentary is, is, is an explanation of Pasha's Toldos. On the story of Eliezer. Uh, no. Maybe we can spend the next five weeks learning this and the beer. And then we'll have five months up to Chayasara. Then we'll get to that. Then we'll continue. This is awesome. All right, everyone. Take care. The main thing is that we start learning with a whole new appreciation and with a whole new love.